It's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Duff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net. Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri. Miller, lovely cushion header. The Ghost Goal Podcast. Arsenal got a massive win in the FA Cup over Chelsea and will now meet Liverpool in the Charity Shield. Arsenal winning 2-1 over Chelsea with Aubameyang getting both goals. Christian Pulisic netting one for Chelsea. In the championship, Fulham were able to beat Brentford today 2-1 and are now promoted to the Premier League. They will join Leeds and West Bromwich Albion returning to the Premier League. Welcome back to the Ghost Goal Podcast. I'm Andrew Pissarro, Alex Moss alongside with me today. How are you doing, buddy? Pretty good. Excited for uh, Champions League to be back uh, this weekend. Uh, Let's just go straight to that and not talk about anything else. Yeah, let's, let's not talk about how Christian Pulisic is going to be out from like f- for like five to six weeks with uh, the hamstring strain. God, I hope so, it's only four, five or six weeks. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, four to five. Four to five is what I have written down here. So yeah, even better. Uh, yeah, Champions League is back this Friday. We've got Manchester City, Real Madrid wrapping up their second leg. Juventus, Lyon, Barcelona, Napoli, Bayern Munich, Chelsea. But uh, I know Javier is not here, which is ironic because this is the first pod in forever that we've had where Arsenal have actually won something worth winning and kind of, and uh, he could not do the pod tonight. So I'm sure we will get his thoughts on Arsenal at some point in the very near future. But um, but he can't talk about this FA Cup game. This was his chance. He didn't show up just like Chelsea <laughs> and just like the referee. <laughs> it's kind of fair. That's kind of fair. What, what do you think Chelsea took away from this, Alex? And we'll get your uh, your blue tinted, uh, I, you know, two cents here. I mean, overall, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant at some point about, uh, namely, Anthony Taylor, the uh, referee of this of this match, who had a a big part to play. But don't let that sort of distract anyone from the fact that Chelsea just weren't good enough on the day. Uh, we we tried to match up the three four three. Uh, with Arsenal's uh, 3-4-3 that they've had some recent success with. But Arteta made one in particular really great tactical adjustment that uh, about 10 or 15 minutes into the game changed the whole thing. He had uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles playing at left wing back, who uh, I think the last time we'd seen him play there was in that Man City game in the semifinal, and he was excellent. Um, And rather than have him stay out as a pure left wing back and play uh, man to man with Reese James playing at wing back for Chelsea, he brought him inside and isolated Aubameyang against uh, Aspilicueta and turned our back five into more of a back four or a back three with absolutely no support on the wings because Reese James was forced to come inside and track Maitland-Niles and try to add bodies in midfield to sort of win that battle in possession. But by doing that, the Arsenal just started uh, really attacking or targeting Aspilicueta with Aubameyang. And Aspilicueta is a great defender, but Aubameyang 1v1 in that uh, that isolated is going to cause a lot of problems. And that's obviously what ends up happening. He scores two goals. I mocked him for years about not showing up when it matters. I still think that's the case. They just have an FA Cup uh, now. So he didn't show up last year for the Europa League, one of the biggest games in Arsenal's history, and uh, decided to show up for this one uh, to get them Europa League. Uh, So, uh, yeah, Arteta made the tactical adjustments uh, to win the game, and uh, Lampard uh, made some adjustments of his own, but there's only so much you can do playing against 12 men, and uh, one of them controls the flow of the game and what's a foul. So... Hmm. It, uh, it made it difficult for us to turn that around, but we looked like we we looked like we we could do it in the second half for a period there until Arsenal got that uh, very well played counterattack to go ahead two one. So, like I'm disappointed, but you know maybe it's just not to be for us in the FA Cup when we're playing Arsenal in the final. That seems to be the overall yes, theme I'm getting from this. This is their third time beating Chelsea in the FA Cup final, right? I mean, yes, and it's all happened in the last twenty years. First time was like 2003, then a couple years ago, 2017, uh, a game also refed by Anthony Taylor that uh, he gave away or he gave a 
offside handball goal to Alexis Sanchez to open the scoring within a few minutes. And then he turns around in this game and just decides that, you know, 90% of uh, Chelsea's tackles are fouls and or yellow cards and 90% of Arsenal's are not. And you know me, how often do I complain about refereeing? Like normally I'm the guy who's like, we had some bad decisions, but that happens to everyone. In this particular game, it was infuriating. Yeah, I'll, I'll back Alex up here. You're usually not, you know, goes after referee first guy. So uh, that's fair. But, I mean, the jury is still out still on whether or not Frank Lampard was tactically outdueled by Mikel Arteta. We will have to watch this space for the near future and see what happens. Obviously, plenty of transfers that could come up and change squads. Chelsea squad is obviously changing. Uh, you got guys who could be leaving, including William. You've got other transfers who will come in. So that is definitely a space to be watching next year uh, in the Premier League. Let's jump over to a couple news. The big news from today, Brentford losing to Fulham 2-1, a game that I bet on because I, you know, I don't watch the championship on a regular basis. Hand up. I, it's not like there, there are other games that we are talking about on this podcast, so I don't watch the, the the championship. But I, you know, follow a couple people on Twitter who are enough of championship viewers because that's their club is down there. And I knew Brentford was on like a total tear in the second half of the season, especially coming back from the break. I was like, let me throw a couple bucks on Brentford. They were the favorite going into the game, and of course, for most of the game, Fulham was was definitely like playing them. Like I wouldn't say playing them off the pitch, but. You would see Brentford every seven or eight minutes get a nice like run down the pitch, and then right before they got the ball towards the box, Fulham breaks up the counterattack and then gets back on the front foot. So not my day, but uh, Fulham back in the Premier League. I know there are a lot of people who are happy about that just because there is a fair amount of American support here with Clint Dempsey playing his, you know, a lot of his Premier League time over there. Brian McBride spending time there. You've got Tim Ream in the back line right now over there. But, like, I don't know. The last time Fulham was up in the Premier League, they didn't offer shit for, for me. So, I'm not exactly, like, excited that they're back, but we'll see what they can do. The left back had a really nice free kick with the uh, the Brentford keeper way out of position. I'm expecting them to cross it into the box and just put it way into the back of the net with, with a dive. That you just have to go on Twitter and look up this dive if, if the, for the goalie on that first goal. He just completely mispositioned himself. You know, he was looking for the the looped ball into the area for someone to get their head on it. And you know, Joe Bryan, the left back that you're talking about, he, I, I think they said on the broadcast that uh, the assistant manager had uh, noticed uh, that inconsistency with the positioning. So, I mean, good on him and good for Joe Bryan for recognizing it at such a pivotal moment in extra time after, you know, like a hundred minutes of a very, very cagey game, like most championship playoff finals uh, tend to be. But yeah, and then he ends up going and getting the double and uh, sealing it. And I, I, I turned it off then, so I didn't see the third goal or the uh, Brentford uh, goal to make it a little bit more uh, interesting. But, you know, Joe Bryan took... That second goal, especially very, very well off of the the one-two with Mitrovic. But the same the same questions that uh, we had of Fulham uh, two years ago coming up with a very attacking style under Jukanovic, uh, they still apply under Scott Parker, who, if any of you remember, was made interim manager or caretaker manager uh, in, in after Ranieri was sacked from Fulham uh, that that year, and you know did well. Obviously, they got relegated, so. Um, not that well, but he's he's been absolutely uh, great in the championship ever since then. So um, we'll see if they can, number one, make the correct signings, not just throw cash at the problem like they did two years ago. And two, if Scott Parker can show a, a little bit more experience. I know he doesn't have that much more experience, but you know every little bit counts uh, in trying to get the balance a little bit more correct this time because... I mean, it's no doubt that they need players and the current quality of the squad is not quite good enough. But it's when you get those players in, how you how you uh, balance the overall uh, approach of the team to, you know, you're not going to keep 70 percent of possession like they were so often in the championship this year. That Leeds will have a similar uh, uh, issue to face. So that's uh, it's, it's a test that Norwich completely failed this year. So. I'm going to be interested to see what signings they make and then how their approach uh, differs from last time. And not a lot of time to go make those signings either. Right. They have to get moving quickly. And it's something like a little little more than 40 days to the Premier League returns in September at this point, which I'm excited about. But at the same time, if I was 
in the front office of a Premier League club right now, I would not be because typically they have a little bit more time for the players to rest and recover. They also have a little bit more time to get transfers done. Now, uh, domestically, I I believe the transfer window is going to be open until October 12th, and the international transfer window is open until October 5th to to deal with everything because of COVID. So that is definitely something to watch out for is that we're going back to what happened. used to be the norm a couple years ago where managers had two to three weeks to kind of see what their squad was capable of before deciding to go and make additions or sell on players. So uh, this is a, a little bit of a change for the, from the new normal. Uh, let's get over to the cha- – we have a couple things coming up. We'll preview some of the, the Champions League stuff, but uh, Alex and I will also close the pod with um, some end-of-the-year awards for our clubs, including Player of the Year, Young Player of the Year, and our favorite goal of the year for our favorite clubs. So uh, look out for that towards the end of the pod. If you want to send us yours, we can uh, throw them into the next podcast. That just All you got to do is get at us on social media, at Ghost Goal Pod, Twitter, Instagram, at Andrew Pissarro, at ASMOS92. And if you want to show Javier a little love, at JavierRev9 on the Instagram. Champions League completing their second leg ties all coming up this weekend, all but unfortunately behind a paywall. I understand where CBS is coming from. They inherited this uh, tournament halfway through everything. TNT deciding that because they were giving up the rights at the end of the season to let CBS just have it for the rest of this one, which if we're going to be, you know, all, you know, here in the circle of trust, TNT did a pretty fucking atrocious coverage of this tournament, putting more of the games behind a paywall than Fox and ESPN did. And I was just very unimpressed with everything all in all with TNT. So hopefully CBS can do a little bit better. I know they have a bigger, they have more channels than TNT had to offer. So I just want to see at least two games on during television, at least two games. And once we get back to the group stages for this coming year, they obviously they break everything up. We're now having that game at like 1235 and they came at 245. As long as, as there's four games on TV, I don't care what CBS does, but less games behind a paywall. I shouldn't have to pay extra because I'm a soccer fan. I'm sick and fucking tired of that. So, uh, See, their approach is the exact opposite. They know yeah. that soccer fans, football fans, are die hard. You know, they're not a huge following here in America. It's not the majority of the population, but the ones that do follow it, we are all very, uh, you're very die hard. So they, they basically assume that they can just throw uh, all of the games on their their paywall. And everyone's going to go in and, uh, and, and, you know, be a part of that. But TNT did something similar. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little let down by CBS so far because I, I, th- I don't think any of the Champions League games are going to be on TV for the end of this season, including the Their final. excuse was, yeah, their excuse was that they already had programming like ready to go for that time slot. And because it like fell into their lap like this, they don't have a place to put it. I don't buy it because there's a bullshit golf tournament on the same day as the Champions League final. And it's not even mm-hmm. a major, but they're going to show the golf tournament instead. Yeah, like, yeah. This is the second biggest game. It's the biggest game of the year in sports, probably. And the second biggest game behind the World Cup final. So... Yeah, would agree. And I mean, the other thing, too, is they signed some pretty decent talent to work for them. Like, I know Jamie Carragher is going to be a part of like they got him for for coverage. They got, you know, some of the people who were working for for TNT, like Kate Abdo's back. I like her in the studio, but they got some pretty decent people to work for them on their coverage. And it just makes no sense that they're putting all of it behind a paywall. But one of these days, one of these giant corporations is going to wake the fuck up and decide to actually like put some money into this to continue to grab the average sports fan because they're they're paying more attention than ever before. It just doesn't make sense to me, but somebody will. The Champions League needs to return, or I don't know about to return, but it needs to go to ESPN. I would love to see NBC throw their, cent, throw their two cents into it because they do the best coverage. Yeah, but they're, they're not going to get Premier League and Champions League. That's like That would be extreme. I mean, that would be very costly, and you know they already have the second biggest football property behind Champions League, and it's much more frequent than Champions League and for much more of the season. So it's probably worth more marketing-wise than that. So, yeah, I think NBC do the best job also, but ESPN did a a really great job with Premier League before the rights went to NBC. And uh, there's a lot of people high up at ESPN that really value uh, football, and they've shown recently by getting the rights to the championship, uh, to Serie A, uh, they've, they've got some MLS uh, rights uh, that they yeah they, they split it with Fox yeah and th- they do a good job a pretty good job of it so I'm I would love to see it return there but it looks like that's not going to happen for another couple of years 
All right, well, let's get to the actual games. Let's us are complaining about paying for soccer. Manchester City take on Real Madrid, second leg. Obviously, as you guys probably remember, Manchester City getting a famous 2-1 victory in Madrid. Based on what I've heard online, there is no Sergio Ramos coming out for this game. But we do have to remember the fact that this is a Real Madrid team for the most part, when you look at the core, who won a bunch of these, won of Champions League with Zinedine Zidane, so they definitely have championship pedigree. Is this game going to be in Manchester, or are they playing this, all of these just finishing out the ties in Portugal? Uh, in Manchester, all of, I believe all of the ties will be completed as uh, originally scheduled in terms of the location. And then once this round has finished, obviously some of the games or the two legs have finished and they're just playing out the rest of them this weekend. Uh, once the uh, quarterfinals are determined, they're all going to Portugal and it will become a single elimination tournament. I'll say this because of this. I mean, the single elimination thing is one thing, but it's going to take a couple, like three or four weeks for this tournament to finish up. And I'll say this as a Liverpool fan. like, Yeah, I would have loved to be in this, but my big spin zone is the fact that we don't have to do this. And the fact that we don't have to keep playing these games and that the, our players are going to get a break and be rested and ready to go for the next season, I think is a huge boost for any club that's not actually in the Champions League. Obviously, sure, I'd love to see them go win number seven, but there's going to be an, a giant asterisk next to this anyways because they're taking away the two-leg format. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, for the players to rest. So and is like, there a giant asterisk next to your title? No. Oh, okay. Of course not. All right. Definitely not. Definitely. There's definitely not an asterisk because... No, no, no. After, you don't need to explain yourself. I'm just using your own thing against you. <laughs> like, well, they I, didn't I'm change the you. format <laughs> of the Premier League. They didn't change the format of the Premier League. They changed the format of the Champions League. Yeah, that's, so, that is fair. And also too, also, too, Liverpool accumulated like more points before the break ended up ended, like started than Manchester City got over the entire season. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's it was a dominant season. I was just being a troll. Yeah. The <laughs> we would never do that on the Ghost School podcast. <laughs> Are you leaning towards Real Madrid like I am? I I already I put a future in on them at plus twenty seven hundred because to win the whole thing or just this uh, whole thing whole thing because I I really think that this Madrid team like the way that they had to play I, I did get one of my buddies from the office is is from Madrid and a diehard fan and he's like you know we're not great at scoring multiple goals but my thing is they have the championship pedigree Zidane has done well against I don't know how much he's matched up against Pep but I believe he beat Pep a couple times at Bayern when at least once at Bayern when uh, Pep was still there in the semifinals of the Champions League Yeah, I'd have to look it up uh, I'd have to look it the up the first but one I'm would have been Ancelotti sure but Maybe, okay. maybe the ones after that because there was a there was they won the Champions League 2014 uh, La Decima and they beat Bayern in the mm-hmm. semifinal on the way to that one. Then Ancelotti was fired midway through the next season, and then Zidane won the next three Champions League after that. So it was four in in five years, and I think Pep had been gone for most of that time by then. So. Uh, but the Champions League pedigree itself stands uh, stands alone. You know, the I, I mean, I'm obviously quite biased towards him, but the Eden Hazard factor I think plays a very big uh, factor in this game because he he wasn't there for that first leg, and he has routinely absolutely filleted Manchester City uh, for Chelsea. He was always a big game player for us, and Manchester City was one of the teams that he especially. Uh, love to just dribble at and, you know, be an absolute menace towards. He adds an extra man in midfield, uh, or he has that kind of effect uh, on the team, and Real Madrid's midfield is obviously good enough as is. So it will definitely help them in possession to try and control the game and uh, or at least limit City's control of the game. Um, but getting two goals is going to be tough while, uh, you know, defending against Manchester City without Sergio Ramos. You know, the... He may he may be a red card or yellow card machine, but he is their leader, and they're going to miss him. Despite Ider Militao, the uh, Brazilian uh, center back they signed from Porto last year, coming out and saying, "I will play my best game, and we will win, and we will go through," basically pulling a Joe Namath and guaranteeing uh, victory, which is ballsy of him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think they can do it. For the lone fact that this year has been the worst I've seen Manchester City look defensively under Pep Guardiola, and that's counting the 2016-17 season, his first season, where they were pretty bad, but 
they've lost what like nine games this season in the Premier League. Conceded three goals at Norwich. They've they've conceded a lot of goals this year uh, against counterattacking teams that aren't quite of the same level as Real Madrid. You know, now champions of La Liga um, ahead of Barcelona. So there's a good chance uh, for Real Madrid, but they, they've really got to limit their own mistakes at the back if they're gonna if they're gonna you know get anything out of this game. But I think we all agree that they can do it for sure. No, I agree with you, and it, that's that's Manchester City's defensive inability or defensive frailties is definitely where I would rather. I think that Real Madrid have a chance, and I agree with you with Hazard, but also too like you know Madrid have to fight down the stretch to win that title. Yeah, and Manchester City haven't had a game that's meant anything in a long time now. Yeah, so uh, I, I think too, and, and I think too like. Zidane was able to use the ability of, you know, no one thinks you can beat Barcelona. And now he's got the same thing right up his sleeve with no one thinks you can beat Manchester City. Does he though? Because I feel like everyone is leaning towards Real with uh, ever since that semifinal cup loss to Arsenal for Manchester City. It seems like everyone thinks, well, if they can't break down Arsenal, then, you know, what are we doing here? You know, I... Can they break down Real Madrid? It's funny you mentioned the the multiple goal thing. I, I don't know how big of a factor that plays other than the fact that the, whenever they scored, uh, or majority of the time that they would score in these La Liga games to close out the, the, the title there, there were so many penalties that were given to them. And, you know, it's varying degrees of, you know, a bullshit decision and a stone, stone wall uh, penalty. But there are so many games there where it was either... 1-0 and the one goal was a penalty from Ramos or Benzema or it was 1-0 through open play and then Real won a penalty to make it 2-0 and effectively kill the game. So to what degree is that, you know, bias on the referee's part in uh, La Liga trying to, you know, mix things up? I'm not throwing accusations, you know, it's just it's mm-hmm. a lot of penalties and we and we say the same thing about Manchester United that it's kind of kind of uh, dubious uh, that they go for so many penalties. It shouldn't be their main strategy to uh, take apart this Manchester City team. They can sit back defensively and uh, they don't need to switch to a 3-4-3 like uh, Arsenal have. They don't need to do anything like that. They have the personnel and the and the system right now to sit deep and counterattack through Eden Hazard on the left, Benzema through the middle, and either Asensio or uh, Rodrigo on the right. So it, it's right there for them. And... Uh, if they if they get three, which is possible, then they have the away goals advantage. So I, I don't know who I'll, who I'll pick, but if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably pick uh, I'd probably pick Real. I've learned my lesson to not pick against a Zinedine Zidane Real Madrid on this podcast. I've done it enough times. I'm not doing it again. Well, it finally failed uh, for me last year against Ajax <laughs> when I was thinking about right. taking Ajax. Then Zidane decides to uh, you know. Not Zidane, who was the manager yeah. last year. I can't or two years ago. I can't remember. Whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah. They, they didn't show up in yeah. that second leg against Ajax. Yeah. Uh, Juventus take on Leon. Leon do have a 1-0 lead in this game. Juventus ha- didn't necessarily play well down the stretch. They got another Serie A title, their eighth in a row, but not necessarily convincing. However, again, Leon, they played in like one of those like France league or fa cup things they've got like two of them i think it's like the coupe de la league or whatever yeah, they, 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 they lost to psg the last ever coupe de la league final they're stopping the competition which is a, effectively mm-hmm. their carabao cup after this season yeah and then i think psg had san etienne in the actual cup final mm-hmm. uh, so but they've they've all been playing friendlies but yeah if you if you throw the uh lack of meaningful football thing at manchester city you kind of have to throw it at leon because yeah, they have friendlies and uh, one cup final, but you know this is going to be a much different uh, level of intensity with Juventus just finishing up their season last weekend. And yeah, you're right; they haven't played amazingly well. Sorry, uh, Maurizio Sorry doesn't have a, uh, a a absolutely preferred eleven, especially in midfield where there has been a lot of changes, but. I'm still optimistic that the Dybala, Ronaldo, and either Higuain or Bernadeschi in that front line, that's too much firepower for Leon, even even if they did well in that first leg. That that first leg was the best I've seen Leon play since 
probably the the, the old days of uh, Leon winning the league every season. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I don't. I, I think this is going to be a pretty a pretty clear cut two nil Juventus. Yeah. Go in, get the job done, move on. I don't think there's much to really look forward to in that game at all. I really look for Cristiano Ronaldo to be ruthless, maybe score a penalty. That, that's literally what I was just thinking. Go and put money on a Ronaldo penalty right now. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. I love it. And then, okay, then we get to Saturday's games. Uh, there's one that uh, there's really not much to say, and unfortunately that's your Chelsea as they take on Bayern Munich, who just absolutely played them off the park in the last time, that last game. that Was that was, that, was at the bridge, right? Yeah, it was at the bridge, and we had even more injuries than we do now. Notably, Christian Pulisic, like you said, he's going to be out. I really wanted to see him uh, against Bayern Munich. He obviously has a history with them, uh, playing for Dortmund for all those years, um, and would have been obviously a great weapon uh, for us and one of our best attacking players. Um, And then there's no uh, Aspilicueta, who went out with the same injury, a, a pulled hamstring, I think, in that FA Cup final. So... No captain and no best uh, winger. And I don't think Willian will play either because he's, his contract's running out and he's rumored to be going to a host, whole host of clubs. So he's coming off an injury and missed that FA Cup final as well. So I'm guessing they'll sit him. There's not going to be any Pedro. He <laughs> dislocated his shoulder in that final against Arsenal and he has to go uh, play for Roma next season. He has a, a contract agreed already. So I think there were a few whispers coming into the, the, the final stretch of the season when you know we had a bunch of our players fit, healthy, and playing well. Like, oh, maybe we should give this a go, see what we can do. You know, plenty of three nils have been turned around before, and Bayern Munich haven't played for weeks. Maybe we can, you know, sneak up on them. But I think it's much more likely that this becomes more of a, a warm-up game for Bayern Munich uh, for the rest of the Champions League tournament. Because looking around the field, I think Bayern might be the, the, the favorites at this point. Uh, you know, it would be Real for me if they weren't trailing to Manchester City. So, if if Real get through, then all of a sudden they jump to the front out of the line and they're uh, my favorites. But I, I think it's going to. I think it's should rest uh, mainly with with Bayern since they have such a secure lead and City have to come back against such a difficult opponent. Yeah, I I, I see where you're coming from with Bayern. I and mean, like my biggest thing in the back of my head about Bayern is how much have they been training and how much how many like friendlies have they had in this offseason and in this time off like you know they're coming out of what they they finished the Bundesliga in mid-June uh yeah I think end of end of June it's like a month ago end of June so it's like you know a full like five to six weeks off not to say that they were sitting around and doing nothing and you know maybe they have the opportunity to like rest up and heal but that's my big question about Bayern is like how you know have they gotten the rust off and, and you're talking in terms what, of the winning the Champions League, not going through against us, right? <laughs> yes, okay. obviously. I mean, okay, like, yes, yeah, come on. I'm, yeah, that whole thing. I was about that's to say, I gave up are. hope you should too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's my big question with Byron, but I still think I, I agree with you that they do have the caliber and they do have, like, you've got the striker in Lewandowski, you've got a good front line, you've got a good midfield, the defense is, you know, not gonna, I'm not going to say amazing, but, you know, Alaba's slotted in at center back pretty well. Pretty and Alfonso, Alfonso Davies has figured out how to be a pretty damn good left back. So I still have questions, but can they go on a, like a, on a run in this mini tournament that we're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and then the last game, and this is one probably I think that I have the most questions about, and that's Barcelona taking on Napoli. You and me both. Like, you and me both, for sure. Any other year, you give me Barcelona versus Napoli, I'd probably bet every dollar that I'd ever make for the rest of my life on Barcelona. But the fact that I don't want to do that right now says a lot. And especially when we're talking about a Napoli team that finished outside of a European spot going into next year in Italy. What, what do you think are the chances that Gennaro Gattuso, Napoli's manager, has them completely amped up to try and make a run in this tournament. Obviously, every team still left in it is going to try and win it. But winning it is now the only way into into Champions League football for Napoli. And, you know, they I don't know if you heard, but they just dropped a big chunk of, cha- uh, of cash on uh, Victor Ossiman from Lille, I think around 70 million euros. And yeah. uh, in, in Serie A, you're not getting that from TV revenue. And 
Napoli aren't going to get that from fan revenue for the foreseeable future future uh, in their stadium. And people forget their stadium's an absolute dump. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and my family is from outside of Naples, so I can say that. Well, everyone <laughs> says that. <laughs> but, the, yeah, and if they end up in Europa League, it's uh, the, the, the amount of revenue you're gaining from Europa League, even if you make it to the final... I think is something like the equivalent of like getting out of your Champions League group, or maybe get it, yeah, getting to the the round of sixteen. So, if uh, they can not only go a couple more rounds in this year's Champions League, but maybe even win it, I'm not predicting they're going to win it. I'm not doing it. But if there was ever a year for some random team to get hot and you know put all of their uh, eggs in the Champions League basket and have it pay off. The first time would have been 2012 with Chelsea when, you know, same thing happened to us. Uh, and then the second time would be now when you only have to win four games to go through. They don't even have to win four games. They can draw this game 2-2 and they're through. They are at plus 6,000 right now Do to it. win the whole thing. I'm telling you, long shot bet. Napoli are desperate. Gattuso is a, a lion of a leader. Uh, if you're familiar with how he played, he was a, a energetic, gritty defensive midfielder for AC Milan when they won all of those Champions Leagues in the uh, mid 2000s. I'm not a big fan of his uh, of his tactics, his defensive uh, sort of way of playing, but he, he's he's been better than Ancelotti uh, was for like the year and a, a bit that he was there uh, in terms of the quality of football he's played and the, and the clubs he's beaten consistently in Italy. So I don't know. I just have a feeling about them that they maybe could get out of this Barcelona tie. And if they do that, then, you know, the sky's the limit for them. Barcelona are an absolute shit show. I think it goes without saying. Lionel Messi obviously makes up for a whole bunch of uh, of cracks in your defense and cracks in your team. But, you know, even he has started to look, dare I say, a little bit tired of the whole thing. And, you know, there's issues in the in the background there with, at the executive level and the running of the team that he's upset with. Uh, but, you know, he still managed to have like 20 goals and 20 assists this season. It's still a great season. We're going to have we're going to have a last dance esque final like like documentary about this part of Messi's tenure at Barcelona. I don't think like, it should be a last dance. If you've ever seen on ESPN, uh, it's on ESPN plus right now. Magic versus Bird uh, document. I think it's a three-part documentary. Each part is like an hour and a bit long, and it just sort of details both of them at the same time. Uh, you know, growing up in Indiana and Michigan, and then going to their colleges facing each other, and then obviously going to the pros and facing each other most years in the finals. I think you need to do something like that for Ronaldo and Messi. It's it's been the ultimate. Uh, head-to-head rivalry in in football history, and I think their names should be you know associated with each other for the rest of time. You know they're both great players, and they deserve their own documentaries. But to have such great players occupying the same space in the same league for so long, and both going for the Player of the Year every year and going for the Champions League every year has been. I don't think people realize right uh, right now just how spoiled we've been by these two. Oh, we've been very spoiled, and they're awesome. And I don't want them to ever retire, but it's you know, it's going to happen sooner rather than later, unfortunately. Um, so, are we both going to just nut up and take Barcelona somehow in this game? I'll take or Napoli. Are you gonna... I'll take Napoli. Okay, I'll back it up. All right, screw it. I, mean, right, I, haven't, well... I haven't taken anyone in the other games. It's just yeah, been it's kind fair. of that's fair. Favoring Real, but who knows? I. Expect a gritty game is all I'll say. Not not your. Oh, also by the way, Arthur, who was part of that Pjanic Arthur swap between Juventus and Barcelona, went back to Brazil and told Barca, "Fuck you! I'm not coming and playing in this game." Because even though he's still technically a Barcelona game, he's like player. He's like, I didn't want to go. You guys made me leave anyways, and so I'm not coming back for this game. I don't blame him one bit. There's been plenty of other players that that is happening with, from Champions League to Europa League. Europa League, mainly the one people have been talking about is Kai Havertz, supposedly not being part of Bayer Leverkusen's squad. Chris Smalling won't be a part of uh, Roma's squad. He went back to Manchester United today. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is saying that uh, he might have a spot at Manchester United for next year, but I doubt it. I think they're probably just going to try to sell him back to some Serie A club because he did play well down there, but we'll see. All right, let's get to the fun part of the pod here. What, this hasn't been fun to you? Am I boring you, Andrew? Am I boring you? (laughs) 
funny how like i'm a clown like i amuse you <laughs> good fellas, <laughs> that was a good fellas reference yeah, best movie of all time uh at me at me on twitter um all right so we're gonna do a couple things uh cl- I, personal clubs end of the season awards our player of the year our young player of the year our goal of the year since javier's not here i'm gonna throw out my suggestions for uh arsenal also i'm not gonna do analysis oh, yeah. i'll just name them and if javier disagrees mm-hmm. i don't think he will disagree but we'll see it'll be interesting next time he comes on we can run it by him yeah all right i have a honorary mention of worst moment of the year for liverpool that i'll that i'll give out before we get to the good stuff and um it's not losing to watford it was allison getting injured all those times uh but other than that i think it has, know, it has to be atletico you guys hadn't lost it well, yeah. in the, you hadn't lost a champions well, league two-legged or a european two-legged well, tie under Klopp. but they wouldn't have lost to atletico if allison hadn't been injured because it was adrian in net that day and he was the one who made those just like boneheaded mistakes yeah yeah, that's technically true, but Atletico kind of felt like they were better that day also. Like, also, they had the lead. It, it wouldn't have been a blowout. How about that? It ended up being more yeah. of a blowout than it should have been. Yeah, it, yeah. Like, one of the, like, uh, Urente or whoever the hell scored the last goal for Atletico. Morata. Named his dog. Yeah. No, no. Well, somebody else, though, named their dog Anfield after winning that game for Atletico Madrid, which... <laughs> Like, I get it. Like, congrats, congrats, bro. That's like the biggest night of your career. But I, I don't think that's a good karma to bring on. But we'll see how it ends for you, man. Good luck, buddy. Um, I hope it was right, Murata. We'll s- I really hope it was Murata. I don't think it was. So uh, let it would have been let me Marcus Sorrente then. He scored, yeah, he scored it was the Mar- first two goals and then Murata scored the yeah, third. It was, it was, yeah, it was Marcos Sorrente. It was that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Does he call it Annie set- for short? <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, if my girlfriend and I ever get a dog, I'm definitely like, oh, we should name like name the dog like um, Chelsea. Uh, not you, Chelsea, but I named or our, my family named yeah, our exactly. dog Chelsea. And if it was a boy, we would have named it Frank. Re- true story. Right. Back in 2007, we were like, if we get a boy, we're calling him Frank. And if we get a girl, it's called Chelsea. Harvey Elliott's uh, dog is named uh, Shankly uh, after Bill Shankly, famous Liverpool manager. Um, yeah. And I totally feel like I could get away with telling my girlfriend we should name the dog Shankly and get away with at least six months without her realizing it was a Liverpool-related thing. <laughs> or, or an even better one, call it Paisley. I thought about that too. Either or, great dog names. Um, okay, let's let's actually get on target here. Player of the year. Uh, I'll let you go first here. For Chelsea, I, I've thought about this a lot. For 75% of the season, I was just slotting it over to Mateo Kovacic. But the restart has convinced me to uh, give it to Mason Mount. And that's who I think Chelsea will give it to as well. The, the best analysis I've heard of uh, Mason that has rung so true is that when Mason Mount shows up, Chelsea shows up. He is the beating heart of how we want to play, how Frank wants to play, especially. And, you know, the kind of work rate week in, week out that's necessary to make a, uh, a full throttle pressing system like like this work. And, you know, he's a young player, so it didn't necessarily happen every single week. But he still ended up with, like, uh, eight goals in the league, six assists in the league. He uh, was very commonly the man making the pass or the the run uh, that set up the assist, the hockey assist, if you will. So he was a Uh hugely influential player. And uh, without him, I don't think Frank would have been able to implement anything close to the, the kind of high-tempo attacking system that Chelsea ended up playing this year. Uh, it's a very good choice. Um, this is a tough I'm one gonna for go, you. I'm going to go... I don't know who you pick. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I wanted to put Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I felt like with us giving the category of Young Player of the Year, I had an opportunity to recognize him as well. It's very tough to not recognize Virgil. He was great again this year, but I don't think he was good as last year. I love Jordan Henderson. This team wouldn't have been as successful without him. But for me, I'm going to go Sadio Mane. Like, uh, here, I got the the stats right in front of me. 18 goals, 9 assists in the Premier League. Another 2 goals and 2 assists in the uh, Champions League. Grabs another assist in the Club World Cup. 2 goals in the Super Cup. Just one of my favorite players to watch. A guy who works his socks off on every end of the pitch. Like, was Klopp's first really big signing and, you know, 
there was a time when people were like 35 million pounds for for Sadio Mane from Southampton was like a a ginormous risk or we overpaid and it's been an absolute bargain. I love watching him and I hated like I hate those games where Klopp like benches him for Origi because it's as a completely different team when he's not out there and not you know I love Salah and and my I would say my favorite moment of the year for the for Liverpool was Salah's goal against Manchester United that Allison assisted on um but he does more defensive work he's super humble has been you know helping both Nabi Keita and now Takumi Minamino get adjusted to the club because all of them have those ties back with Red Bull I just love watching him play football and like I I got his you know, I think it's kind of hard for me because I also, you know, when I bought the Liverpool kit this year, I got a Sadio Mane jersey because even if he were to like leave for Real Madrid or Juventus in like two or three years time, like I'm not going to be bitter about it. Like he helped us achieve the biggest moments I've ever watched as a as Liverpool fan, uh, as a Liverpool fan, and he's damn fun to watch. So uh, that's that's who I go with. And I'll just say for Arsenal, their Player of the Year, Aubameyang. I mean, it has to be Aubameyang. I think he ended up with 25 goals in all competitions, something mm-hmm. like that. You know, they obviously didn't have the best season as a team, but, you know, just like Harry Kane at Tottenham, you know, goal scorers just score goals. Uh, you know, they give them enough, enough game time and they'll reach those numbers. So, yeah, it kind of has to be Aubameyang for them. Maybe Leno, but Leno yeah. got injured for the, the run-in. Yeah, it has to be Aubameyang. Young player of the year, I already mentioned mine, so I'll go first. Trent Alexander-Arnold, just another mammoth year of... You know, not looking like a 21-year-old and looking like a guy who's been playing in the Premier League for a lot longer than he has. Uh, goal scoring got better. The goal against Leicester was excellent. Um, the free kick goals, I know you're mad about the Chelsea one, but it was still a nice free kick goal. He had a very nice one against Crystal Palace. Um, to, to, to sum this up, when you when you said that, I thought, which one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he scored a free kick home and away. I'm not mad yeah, about the free that, kick itself. I'm mad about the decision at Enfield, which I'm not mad about anymore because we made Champions League. Right. That, so, right. Whatever. But also, too, like our midfield gets a lot of shtick, a lot of stick because of their goals and assists accumulation. And I think that will change next year with the the influence that we saw Nabi Keita give down the stretch. But we don't need the midfield to score goals because yeah. we have Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold both in double-digit assist numbers and Trent setting, you know, breaking his own record for most assists coming from fullback. I think he's a future captain of the club. And again, I could have given Trent player of the year, but when you've got young player of the year on the list, you give it to Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm excited to see what happens with Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott next year, but for right now, it goes to Trent. For, for Chelsea, it, you know, there's a long list of players that you could give it to. Uh, the qualifying, what are our qualifiers for this? 23 and younger. Yeah, I think it's the same one. I mean, it doesn't as, really matter. It's pretty much a, a debate between Tammy Abraham and Christian Pulisic. But I think mm-hmm. down the stretch of this uh, uh, of this restart and how important it was to us to get that Champions League football, Christian Pulisic has to be the uh, the choice. You know, he's 22, I think. Tammy Abraham is also 22, scored a boatload of goals, but Pulisic scored so many big goals, especially in that Manchester City game to get things started. The hat trick earlier against uh, Burnley to truly announce himself after what some people thought was a kind of difficult opening to his season. Uh, He's 21, by the 21, way. 21, even better. God damn, I cannot wait for him to get fit and play with ZX. He's born in. Everyone. He was born in the year of our Lord, 1998. Wow. Yeah. I'm. Oh my gosh. Okay. Pour a bucket of cold water on me, please. <laughs> They're all so young. Yeah. He's he's the natural choice. He's he could even be in it for Player of the Year for us. But uh, I think the injuries. He's, he had an injury around January uh, that kind of tripped up his season and saw him out until the the Premier League was stopped. Um, and then. Once it restarted again, he picked up right where he left off in uh, November and December and was absolutely fantastic. I, <laughs> If you told me we would have another player with dribbling abilities even anywhere close to Eden Hazard's ever again, I would have told you you, you will never see that again at Chelsea. But just the, the different way that Pulisic does it with how direct he is and how he tries to put defenders on the back foot. It, it, it yields a good amount of mis- uh, mistakes on his part because you have to take risks to to get something. 
but so many so often now and you saw when he came on at Anfield when he ran at uh, Joe Gomez and Trent Alexander-Arnold went just threw them like a knife through butter and then played that perfect ball to Tammy Abraham that that's we don't have anyone else in our squad that can do that not many clubs do have that kind of player so um, yeah I think he finished the season with uh, 11 goals all competitions nine of them in the Premier League with nine assists in the Premier League I, I, I was predicting like somewhere between five to ten, but I didn't know he would be closer to ten than he would be to five. So I'm extremely impressed. And he actually over overshot his uh, ex- or my expectations for him this season. Uh, what would you say for Arsenal filling in for Javier? It uh, has to be Bukayo Saka, the uh, yeah. young winger yeah. who filled in at left wing back and left back even for them at times, was the one shining light when their season was in a very dark abyss earlier early on. And special consideration probably to Gabriel Martinelli, but he's been injured for a big chunk of the season as well. They love Bakayo Saka so much they gave him the seven kit going into next year. So and and it's contract. not as big of a yeah. It's not as big of a deal as a club like Arsenal. I feel like ten in ten is more special there, but it's still, you know, they don't give it to anybody. Let's get to goal this season, Alex, I'll let you go first. So the obvious choice for Chelsea is the Tomori screamer against Wolves uh, way earlier in the season, the game that Chelsea won 5-2. That was the opening goal, He, his first goal for the club. He absolutely spanked it from 30 yards out. But I think I'm going to lean towards... I, I, can't, I can't pick. Are we doing just Premier League or uh, all competitions? No, whatever you want. Whatever you want. I really can't pick. I'm gonna. I'm, it's one of Williams' goals against either Lille away, a volley that he took. I think it was like the 78th minute. It was coming down to the end of the game. It was tied 1-1. Hudson Odoi shook off a defender and played in a beautiful ball, and he hit it first time off the volley and bounced it off the off the pitch and into the into the net with a bunch of pace on it. It's either that one or the goal off the corner against Spurs in the Premier League that he curled around like five different Spurs defenders and put in the bottom right corner. I've not been Williams' biggest fan, but there were moments this season that he really showed up as the veteran presence and he he deserves some sort of accolade for that. And, you know, I don't hope for the best wherever he ends up because that could be Arsenal, but um, I I hope he gets his money and he plays out his career as as a happy player. I, I did put a little transfer like news and notes at the bottom of our ne- our, our show sheet just in case we got into some. Uh, the latest rumors I'm reading with him, it was down to Barcelona, Arsenal, you guys, um, Inter Miami, and a mystery club. And now it's just down to Arsenal and it's in a club yet to be named. And Arsenal's apparently offered him a three-year contract. So, so uh, expect to see him watch, at Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, watch that space. I would have loved to see him at at MLS based on what he did this past year. I feel like he would have just torn shit up there, but not yet, it seems. For me, I had a few candidates. The goals to to come back against Aston Villa in that game where it looked like they were finally going to drop points. I think the Andy Robertson header was on my list. Trent's goal in the Leicester 4-0 uh, win on Boxing Day. I said most laws earlier, the Manchester United one. And that, that one was notable not only just because of Allison's assist, but that was Salah had scored against every other Premier League team except for Manchester United at that point. And that kind of completed, you know, 19 for 19. But I kind of want to go with Curtis Jones against Everton. Don't do that. The- Get that out of here. <laughs> you got knocked out in the very next round of the <laughs> FA Cup. Like, it didn't mean anything. But. But like, it was a great you know, goal. I'll give, I'll give him that. For, but Trent Alexander-Arnold's for, like top four goals or five goals this season are better than that. I, I think the Leicester one then, because that was the one. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a free kick. It was just him bombing down the wing and just hit an absolute like screamer into the top corner um, as they blasted Leicester. Uh, that was a very... Um, that was a rough day for me because I was taking the bus back from D.C. to New York and I got onto the train and realized that my phone audio wasn't working. And then I literally had to take a four hour silent bus ride and then got to New York and they were like, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with the entire bottom of your phone. You just need to get a new one. And meanwhile, I missed like parts of that game and had to like go back and watch it. But um, that game did cheer me up quite a bit. So. Uh, but yeah, I'll go with that one. Uh, do you, I don't, I don't, I'm not even gonna ask you to try to do an no, Arsenal. No, I have one for you, Arsenal because just because it was recently, and I think it's by far. I mean, okay, maybe the Aubameyang bicycle kick in the Europa League against Olympiacos, but they lost that, and he missed an absolute sitter right after that. So that takes points off for me. 
in terms of importance, I think it has to be the first goal against Manchester City. That's the best I've spoken of Arsenal this entire season. It was, what, like two weeks ago when they beat City in the semifinal of the FA Cup. But that first goal that Aubameyang scored from the... First of all, like 20 passes in the buildup. They sucked City into eventually making its way out to Pepe, who cuts onto his left and drifts a perfectly weighted ball to Aubameyang at the back post. It completely um, set them up to continue to play defensively against Manchester City and uh, get the counterattacking goal to make it 2-0 uh, in the second half. And it, it's the goal that has basically changed my opinion of Arteta to, oh, he could have a chance here. They, they might have something here. So... Um, I think it has to be that one. Yeah, uh, that'll that'll do it. Uh, we'll get Javier's real thoughts on the pod later when we hear from him next. And like I mentioned, if you want to let us know, feel free to just tweet him at us. We'll throw you guys a retweet tomorrow um, when when we uh, you know the pod gets up. But uh, at Ghost Gold Pod on Twitter and Instagram at Andrew Pissarro, at ASMOS ninety two at Javier Rev nine. Uh, look for more pod content coming soon. We obviously got plenty to go on. I mean, I have it on. Like I said, I said I had it on our show sheet, and we didn't even get the fact that Fran Torres is a Manchester City player. Pierre Emer- uh, Pierre Emil Hodberg is uh, going to be a Tottenham player, according to Fabrizio Romano. Jeez. Kyle Walker Peters could could end up at Southampton. Jaden Sancho to Manchester United is pretty much the only transfer news you're going to be hearing about every day for the next couple of weeks. Um, the Havertz, Independence reporting. You might hear about that one. Yeah. Because the, Kai Havertz. The Sancho stuff's just being reported by Manchester United journalists so far, from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. There was a tweet today from Christian Falk of Build okay. that, that I had on one. there. And yeah, and Jan Age Fjord, uh, yeah. you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. He, had a, he had a tweet on there too. Liverpool interested in Jamal Lewis from Norwich to back up left back. Real Madrid, Sergio Regulon. I have no idea how to pronounce that, that was, but he's being linked to Chelsea. was pretty much spot on. <laughs> Reg- Damn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's being linked to Chelsea, according to ESPN. And yeah, so we're not going to get into all that today, but we will be monitoring that. And as we see fit, we'll be keeping updates on Twitter. But um, And if you guys need transfer guys to follow, just hit me or Alex up. We've got plenty of them to recommend for you. Uh, like I said, at ASMOS92, at Echoes Gold Pod, at Javier of 9. Until next time. See ya.